Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We've been in the book of Ephesians and our series called The Brand New We. Not a brand new me, but a brand new we. And let me catch up a little bit. We've been going line by line, verse by verse, through Ephesians. And I've had people say, Pastor, it's been so good. I I think I can actually read my Bible from the first time and get something out of it. How many of you grew up in, 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 in church or maybe not in church and reading the Bible wasn't something that you just did regularly? My hope in going through this series is that you'd see just how much truth is relevant in God's Word and how available it is for us to read it on our own. We've learned this, that it doesn't just change the way you see yourself. This new identity also changes the way you see others as well. And Ephesians has had this very specific message of unity that I think is so prevalent and so ready for our, not just our congregation, but our community and our country and especially this political season. How many of you are grateful for a message of unity in, in the middle of all of this? One theologian said, talking about the book of Ephesians, there's six chapters, and one theologian said it this way. He said, if we were to look at this entire six-chapter letter that Paul writes to a young church, we could split it into three parts. And here's how he described it. He said, sit walk and stand. Sit, walk, and stand. That's how he would split it up. The first couple of chapters, one, two, and three that we went through, we're learning to sit in our new identities. What does that mean, Pastor John? It means it's already been obtained for us. We we don't have to worry about doing anything to get it. We can rest in it. We can be seated Ephesians 2 was telling us, in the heavenly places because of the work that Jesus has done. There's nothing left to do in that regard. But then we get to turn the corner and learn to walk in our new purposes. We've got these behaviors that that we can now walk in, these examples that we set for others. And we're going to end Ephesians in a few weeks learning to stand in our new realities, our posture in a world that battles against us. Some of you know this world likes to battle against us. Ephesians gets us where we can sit, walk, and stand. Today, we're going to turn the corner a little bit, starting with chapter 4, and begin to see how the Apostle Paul starts to explain to us what it looks like to start to use those new identities with other people to start to accomplish that new purpose. Y'all ready to dig in today? Let's do it. We're going to pick up right at the end of three, chapter 3, verse 20, where I left you off. Here's, here's the last verse I left you with in our series. It was in chapter, verse 20. It says this, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all. For his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Look at those words that I've highlighted for you. God's power is working in you to accomplish all of this. He will achieve, not you. He will outdo. It's his miraculous power. So my question is, do we just sit back then? 
Is that, is that really what he's telling us? Do we just sit back? I mean, after all, Pastor Don, he's, he's working in us. He, he's going to achieve it. We'll just sit back and, and he's going to outdo anything I could do on my own. Anyway, why do I need to do anything at all, Pastor Don? Is that what the Apostle Paul is saying? Now, some of you know this song that Doris Day released in the 50s. I'm, I'm not dating myself, but if you know what I'm talking about and remembered when it was released, then you may be dating yourself. But she had a song that went, Kesara, sara, whatever will be, will be. Why bother? What, 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 what's the big deal if what I do won't make any difference? Can I tell you it was a great song back then, but it's not biblical at all. Whatever will be, will be. No, God has a plan. Earlier in the same year that Paul wrote this letter, while in prison to the Ephesians, he wrote this to the church in Philippi. Let's turn there, Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13. This is how the Apostle Paul would say to Doris Day here. He'd say, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Here's what he's saying. Work hard because God is working in you. Don't work for your salvation. We work as a result of our salvation. There's not things that we have to do in order to obtain this. There's things that we do because we've obtained this. My son doesn't go around the house doing things that please me or that I've asked him to do so that he gets to be a son in my house and that I get to be his father. It doesn't work that way. He is my son. I am his father. And it's out of the love he has in that relationship that he desires to do the things that please me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you, do you get that? It's a, it's a big deal. And it was a big deal for Paul to explain that to the other church. He took three chapters in Ephesians to explain all of this new identity that he has for them. Because if he started with where we're going to start in chapter four today, they may get it backwards. They may hear about this walking and these things to walk in and these things to do, and they might get confused with thinking, this is what we have to do in order to be Christians. This is what we have to do in order to be the church. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, 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 no. We're going to start. I'm going to show you God's done all the work. There's nothing left for you to obtain. But now that you're seated where God has you, this is what behavior looks like as a Christian. You, you start to do these things Um, backwards is going to get you in trouble. You don't walk it out, I would say it this way. You don't walk it out with others in order to sit in God's presence. It's because you sit in his presence that he needs you to walk it out when you're around other people. How we walk because we're seated with God shows other people who God is and what he's like. You with me? We're not, we're not supposed to be running around here trying to do things to earn his approval and in his, his appreciation for us. No, Jesus accomplished all of that for us. Now, because of that, we get to walk this out. Are y'all with me? Am I, uh, some, some of your heads are just really still right now. Let me help you as a pastor. You, you, you smile and you nod sometimes, and it lets me know if what I'm doing is getting into you. If you're ready for me to move on to the next point, you might want to respond to the last point that I said. Okay, just, just checking. Here's where we are. This is how the Apostle Paul begins Ephesians 4, verse number 1. Here's what he says. He says, I therefore... 
a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Therefore, he starts, I therefore. I heard a pastor tell me once, anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, you should pause and take a minute to see what it's there for. So we're gonna do that right here. Therefore is a connecting word. It's a transition word. It's a word that says this is the start of a new thought, but it's based on the previous thought. What I've already told you is what supports what I'm about to say. And he says this, therefore, in other words, because of who you are in Christ, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of this calling that he has called you to. Because of everything I've already told you, I now tell you this, because of what I've told you, of your new identity, I now tell you how to behave. Say that word, behave, with me. Man, there's a challenge sometimes that we have with this word, behave. Have you ever been driving on the road and somebody just does something stupid, cuts you off, and you're like, what in the world were you thinking? It was behavior, but listen, you know darn good and well that that behavior was based upon a thought. Isn't it interesting how nobody acts in a way contrary to what they believe? You you see somebody doing something and they think something about that. That's how they behaved. I I have children and sometimes I look at that behavior and I'm thinking, what in the world were you thinking? Did you really think that you'd get away with that? And here's the answer to that. Yeah, (laughs) they did. They thought dad was going to slip up, miss a step, and they were going to get away with something, but but. Jesus talks to daddy, I keep telling him, and I don't, I don't miss it. But there's something crazy, and I want you to understand this. If you come into church and you think that God's so concerned about your behavior, that Pastor Don is so concerned about your behavior that you gotta do all these things, you gotta behave, and you gotta behave, and you gotta behave, you're gonna miss it. And here's what I understand about each of us is we don't operate in a way contrary to what we believe. So if I'm really concerned about your behavior, and look at me, I am. I don't need to be as concerned about your behavior as I need to be concerned about your what? Your belief. Because if your belief is right, then your behavior will be too. But here's the problem. I can't do a thing to change your belief. That's that's between you and God. So am I stuck as a pastor? Is is the Apostle Paul stuck here trying to help us get from one place to another? Is he he stuck trying to help us go, "I, I can't change your behavior. It's your belief that affects your behavior. Is there anything that can be done to help us affect the way we believe? And the answer is yes, and it's another B word, and it's called belong. And here's what I know to be true about us and what I know to be true about church and about Christians. If you will come and belong and feel like you belong, God will change the way you believe. And if you'll allow God to change the way you believe, then you will behave in a way consistent to what you believe. You with me? And then if you'll behave in a way consistent to what you believe, you'll become what God has called you to do. You with me? I'm going to show you this. We start by by belonging and creating a place where people can feel like they belong. I don't need you to feel like you can do all the right things in order to fit in here, because here's the truth. We're not all doing them anyway. We're all growing, we're all trying to be on this journey, but if you can belong somewhere 
long enough for God to get a hold of you, he'll change what you believe. And then once you start to believe, you'll start to behave. And once you start to behave, you'll start to become. I want you to become everything God has for you. And so I work really hard to make sure this is a place where you feel like you belong. Y'all with me so far? Y'all getting that? If you'll start belonging, you'll start believing, then you'll start behaving. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul's instructing us to walk in a manner worthy of this salvation that he's been given. And do you think Paul would tell us to walk in a certain way worthy of that salvation if it wasn't possible for us to walk in a way that wasn't worthy of that? Absolutely. Let's see what he has to say as he continues on. I'm going to start back at one, read it in context. Ephesians 4 Verse one, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Three words, three behaviors that Paul is telling us are necessary if we're going to walk it out. I'm going to unpack those for a little bit. And I think we'll, we'll wrap up in a good spot today. Number one, humility. How do we walk in, in a way? How do we walk this way? How do we walk in a manner worthy of the calling that God has called us, worthy of position that he's given us? It starts with humility. This, this biblical humility we understand in the Greek is a combination of two words. One of those words means not rising so far from the ground. And the other one refers to our mind. Here's what biblical humility means. It has a lot to do with not thinking so much of ourselves. That's biblical humility. It's having a humble opinion of one's self. I'm sure you're probably familiar with C.S. Lewis' quote on humility. I've used it before. Um, I'll tell you, it's humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. How many of you wish you could just get some of the people in your family to think of themselves less? I don't want you to think less of yourself. Just look. You may not be familiar, though, with what else C.S. Lewis had to say on the subject. Um, Let me share this extended quote with you. Here's what he says. He says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, he says. Tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggish step, too. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Hmm. That's a problem. Because here the Apostle Paul is saying... In order to walk this way, in order to walk the way that we've been called to walk, we need to start with humility, but you can't think about humility as if it's a target to obtain. Because if you think you're humble, you're probably not. So what do we do, Dr. John? I mean, we we sit here and say, uh, maybe, is there anybody here that's humble? Anybody? I'm looking, balcony, any humble people up in the balcony? I got a room full of honest people today, and I appreciate I, I appreciate So how do you do it? If the goal is humility, but you can't reach it like a target, how do, how do we get there? What, what is that? And let me help you. Humility is not a target. It's a byproduct. 
It's not something you work toward. You don't get up in the morning and say, I'm going to work on being humble today. You don't work that way. You start by saying this, I'm going to work on serving others today. And as a result of serving others, humility starts to grow in your life. Serving is the target. Humility is the byproduct. And this is how Jesus connected the dots together for us that Paul's describing. In Matthew 23, 11 through 12, he says this, the greatest among you shall be your what? Servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. There's a relationship between serving and humility, and if we're going to walk this way, we need to understand serving is a key part of this. Can I tell you it works in all your relationships? It works in your relationship with kids and parents. Let me see your hands. I'm about to give you some gold. Hang on to it for just a second. Our older kids will often come to me complaining about the younger kids, and they'll say something like this. They're not listening to me, Dad. I'm trying to help them, but they're not respectful. They don't, they don't respect me at all. If they would respect me, Daddy, then, then I could help them, but they're being foolish, Dad, because they're not, they're not respecting me. To which I ask my older children in the middle of their complaint and said, well, are you serving them? What do you mean? If you would serve them, they would respect you. Well, daddy, if they respected me, then I would serve them. I get it. What you mean to say is it would be easier to serve them if they respected you. But somebody's got to go first in this situation. And I'm telling you, bud, if you will serve your siblings, they will respect you. And then that respect will elicit more serving and more serving. What I had was a pride issue. What I was trying to get was some humility. But somebody had to go first. They had to serve. It works in your marriage, too. Married folks, buckle in. Learning to serve one another strengthens that bond. Can I tell you, troubled marriages almost always have lost the heart of serving each other. Find me a marriage that's struggling, and I'll find you somewhere somebody has lost the desire to serve the other person. It's serving that brings it. Is there intimacy issues in your marriage? That's why your marriage is struggling? Can I tell you? It's about serving the needs of the other person more than your own. That's how it works in marriage. Is there, is there financial problems in the middle of this? It's about serving and putting what's important to them before what's important to you. Some of us get our hands so tight around the budget that we forget we're on the same team. And the budget is a tool that we use together, not a weapon we use to hit the other person with. Usually in a marriage, when I'm talking to people, they're like, somebody's the budgeter, and then somebody's the budgeted. Y'all are laughing because you know it's true. Can I help you for just a second? A budget is just a set of financial decisions that we make ahead of time, so when the time comes to make that decision, it's already been made. And here's a newsflash. You made the budget, you can change it. You can change it, you can tweak it. But if we're not serving one another, if I don't use the budget to serve the greater need of my marriage, I'm gonna have trouble in the middle of this. Parenting problems, is that what has your marriage all out of whack? You serve the marriage by keeping it first. Church relationships, 
as you serve others, it combats the things that feed pride in our lives. The Apostle Paul would say this, if you'll serve, you'll be humble. But if you try for humility, you're going to miss it. You'll end up with pride. I know many Christians who have been Christians for a very, very long time, but they're not serving. Now, I'm not saying you got to show up to church every single Sunday and stand at a door and greet people or be an usher. And all. That's, not for, that's not for everybody. That's not everybody's next step. But if you're saying, Pastor Don, I've been a Christian for a long time and I can't quite put my finger on any way that I've served somebody else or helped anybody else in their growth or their relationship as a Christian, I would tell you, you're missing something. You're missing something. We are going to be the church that works hard at serving each other and serving others and the question is, why, Pastor Don, why, why are we going to be that way? Because the Apostle Paul has told us we've got this brand new identity and he wants us to walk this way to take advantage of it. Are y'all with me so far? Still have toes left. I counted at least two that I stepped on. That should give me eight for the rest of this message um, today. Let's look at number two. First, number one was humility. Number two is gentleness. Ah, safer word, Pastor Don. We can handle handled gentleness. There's a Greek word that describes gentleness and it's soothing medicine or a soft wind. And we think of gentleness often like the way you would care for a child or the way you would hold a delicate flower. But in this context, what the Apostle Paul is saying, this same word is also used to describe a wild horse that has been broken, a power under control. And you got to understand the context here isn't about how you act gentle. It's how you respond gentle when you don't get your way. Are you gentle when things don't go your way? How do you respond when it doesn't happen the way you thought it would? Are you aggressive or are you gentle? There's a story of a man who turned 120 years old. And a news reporter came to him and said, this is fantastic. What type of wisdom, how can you, what type of advice do you have to share with other people? How did you live to be 120 years old? And the man looked at her with a wise smile on his face and he says, I never argue with anyone. And she said, well, well I mean, surely there's got to be more. I mean, you, you you got to be doing something. Is it the way you eat or the way you exercise? I mean, surely it's got, it's got to be something that this caused you to live 120 years old. And he looked at her and he says, hmm, you might be right. Some of y'all get that in a minute. He didn't argue with her. It sounded better to me when I read it. We'll, 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 move. we'll, we'll move on. Years ago, I had a, a young staff member, um, no longer on our team, um, I, I sat down with her and, and she was learning a new position and things were, were going okay, but they needed, she needed a little bit of help. Um, and she had made a few mistakes and I needed to bring correction to her. And so we sat down, it was just her and I in my office and I started to share with her how much I appreciated her, but at the same time, how much these things that she was doing was impacting the work that she was doing. I was bringing correction to her. She got very defensive. <gasps> Why? Well, and she said, Pastor Don, I, I feel like I'm being attacked right now. I said, really? I mean, I, my voice isn't elevated. I'm not using emotionally charged words. Um, I, I'm, I'm not attacking you at all. Uh, this, is, this is correction. 
And, and if you receive correction as attack, I don't know that you're going to be able to grow and to learn from this. I, I was bringing correction. She was responding aggressively and she wasn't being very gentle about it. And I told her, I said, how you respond to being corrected will determine what kind of relationship we can have going forward. This is the word the Apostle Paul is talking about when he's saying, you're going to have interactions with other people as you walk this way. And when things don't go the way they're supposed to, be mindful of how you respond in the middle of this. I teach my kids that they're responsible, able to respond correctly. Response a bull, able to respond correctly. Gentleness means you have the power and the ability to be aggressive, but you choose not to be in that moment. Not just humility, not just gentleness, but here's the third word the Apostle Paul gave us today. He gave us the word patience. Patience. You know, growing up as a young Christian, I didn't know much about patience other than you don't pray for it. You, you, don't, you don't ask for patience because there's only a few ways that God can teach you to be patient. Some of you are shaking your head. You're saying, I know, that, I know that one. Pass it on. We teach our children this, that patience is waiting with a happy heart. Patience is waiting with a happy heart. It's not good enough just to wait. There's a heart issue, a heart component as well. Other translations of the Bible use this word long-suffering, and I like that word. It's a, it's a long temper. It's a self-restraint when one is stirred to anger. And in this context of the Apostle Paul is talking about how we walk this way. How do we do this because of where we're seated? He says this, it's not waiting your turn. It's not taking your turn to retaliate. I'm going to say that again. Not waiting your turn. It's not taking your turn to retaliate. It's, it's not lashing out when you feel wronged. If you're long suffering when someone does something wrong to you, it doesn't give you permission to go off on them. How many of you ever thought, well, if they did that, then I'm going to do this. You're not being long suffering. You're not waiting with a happy heart in the middle of this. And to walk this way, to have this patience, you've got to walk like this. There's been a while since I bashed social media. Um, so I think I'm going to take a liberty here because I have the stage and nobody vying for a thing. Can I just bash social media for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah with me. Why, why is it that people will retaliate with their thumbs in a way that they would never do if they were in person? Can you imagine that? I, I just, you, you, have, you have this environment it seems like everybody's just one wrong word away from just going off on somebody. You, you've, seen, you've seen the people that, that are like, don't raise your hand if you're one of them. Just listen to your pastor. He's trying to help you. Listen, social media is dangerous. Things escalate too quickly. There's no constraint. There's no filter. There's no heart component. If I were in the middle of having a conversation with Jeff and I started to say something that was offending him or hurting his feelings, his facial expressions would change and I'd be able to say, oh, maybe I need to back off a little bit. Maybe something, it doesn't happen with your thumbs. You're just there. I'm going to get this in it. You know, oh, it lets me edit. I got more to say. I'm going to go back and say 
Boom, boom, boom. And then heaven forbid if they retaliate to what you retaliated. You know, okay, I'm done with the social media thing. Listen, cancel culture is not long-suffering. We need humility. We need gentleness. And we need patience. Verse 2. Ephesians 4, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness and patience. Look at this. Bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. I would say it this way. Bearing with one another in loving support. Every time I see this phrase, it reminds me of this picture that I want to show you. Do we have that? Yeah. Two soldiers supporting another soldier who's been wounded in battle. Bearing with one another in loving support. How quickly, church, do we forget that we're all on the battlefield? How quickly do we forget that all of us are hurt too? You know, hurt people hurt people. You heard that? Sometimes we get so shocked when somebody lashes out or they behave some way and we're like, I can't believe they did that. I, I just give them, nah, nah, nah. where's my phone? I'm going to Facebook them something and tell. They did that because they're hurt. Hurt people hurt people. You say, well, well, Pastor John, he was sarcastic and derogatory. Yep, but did you see the wound in his heart from his absent father? He, he doesn't know how to have a respectful conversation. He grew up in a locker room where you gain status by chopping everybody else down in the middle of that. And he got to a point where he was so tired of getting lashed at, he decided to lash out. And it was out of that hurt that he responded. I know what he did was wrong. But before you jump on him, did you happen to think that maybe he was doing that from a place of injury herself? Well, Pastor Don, you don't, you don't understand. I, I mean, I know what she did was wrong. She violated my trust. I get that. She violated your trust. But did you see that knife stuck in her back from the betrayal she experienced from her last best friend? Who did that to her? Did it occur to you for a second that she may not know how to be a good friend because she's never had a good friend herself? Hurt people hurt people. We gotta bear with one another in loving support, but if hurt people hurt people, can I tell you, healed people can heal people as well. Healed people can heal people, and the crazy truth is we're all wounded, and we have to be able to bear one another with loving support. So Pastor Don, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying we're gonna be the kind of church that walks this way. I'm gonna put it up on the screen for you. We're gonna serve with humility. We're gonna respond with gentleness. We're gonna endure with patience and long suffering and we're gonna bear with one another in love. That's the kind of church God has for us. Not the type of people we need to be in order to obtain righteousness from God, but the type of people we can be because we've obtained so much from him. Are y'all with me today in the middle of what I'm saying? And doing this is how we get to verse three where he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Have you noticed what God is doing in our church? Have you noticed? I mean, have you just taken a second to look back and see the, the growth that we're seeing? The health that exists here? 
God is blessed in this place. And I'm blown away and I'm so grateful to have the privilege of leading a congregation like you that works really hard and making sure we're maintaining this bond of peace. And, it's, and have you ever wondered why God can move in a place like this? Let me tell you, it's because we're unified. It's because we're unified. Because there are people around that you wouldn't think to be, have anything in common in any other reason, in any other environment. But on Sunday morning, we're all here. Couldn't be more different, yet God is using us all the same. God is working in our lives because we're unified. Is there anybody here that can't wait to see what God has in store for a church that starts to walk this way in a community? What would happen if what we've got going on in here just happened to spill out into your home? Happened to spill out into your street, into your neighborhood, and in our community? What would happen if what we have going on in here happened to spill out into our country? I can't wait to see what that would look like. Ephesians 4, verse 4 through 6, the very next verse says this. He's talking about being unified. Here's what he says. There's one body... In one spirit. And just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Look what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying we have so much in common. So much in common. We started by talking about walking in a way worthy of your calling. And now here's, here's this word again. You were called or belongs to your call. Have you ever thought much about that word calling? What has God called you to? Let me help you for just a second. Because I think we make such a big deal sometimes of trying to find our individual and unique calling. In other words, that thing that we're called to do as an individual that we completely overlook our corporate or our universal calling, the things that we're called to do as a church. I'll say it one more time. We spend so much time looking at the things that are individual to us, looking for that calling that is just me. What am I called to do? God, what do you want me to do that we overlook the thing that he's called all of us to do together? And what would you do if I told you that was backwards? That maybe, just maybe, God has something for all of us to do, and when we start doing all of that together, then we can see the individual thing that God has called us to do. I'd go so far to say that until you start walking in what God has called all of us to do, you won't be on the path to discover what God has called you to do. My pastor says it this way, when you find your people, you find your purpose. You may have wondered, here, wondered in here today looking for your purpose. And can I tell you, I think what God was bringing you wasn't purpose. He was bringing you people. He was bringing you some people to belong to, some people to celebrate with, some people to walk with, some people to look and say, man, they've got something that I don't have. And if you'll feel like you belong, that belonging will change the way you believe. And that belief will change the way you behave. And that behavior will help you become what God has called you to do. Verse four gives us a picture of what we're called to do corporately. One body, one spirit, one hope, one love, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. It's a message of unity that Paul is continuing to walk this way. Isn't that just the opposite of what the world is telling us to do? What's the world say? How does, how's the world saying it? Walk your own way. 
you do you, bae. You just, you just do you. You do you, I'm going to do me. And as long as you doing you doesn't affect me doing me, then we'll be fine. That's not unity, that's avoidance. That's avoidance. The world says walk your own way. Paul says walk this way. The only place in scripture where I see somebody walking their own way is in Isaiah 53. And here's what that says. Isaiah 53 verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I don't want us to be the church full of sheep who are going their own way. I want us to be the kind of church that understands God has called us to do something together. And out of being a part of that together, we're going to find what God has called us to do individually. Psalms 133, the psalmist says this. He says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. How good and pleasant. How good and pleasant to who? Is it, is it good and pleasant to God when we dwell in unity? Answer? Yeah. But do you know who it's also pleasant to? Everybody else around on the outside looking in. Can I tell you, every week is somebody's first Sunday in church. Maybe it's their first Sunday in a long time. And when they walk in here and they look around and they see all these people who don't look the same, who don't dress the same, who don't live on the same part of town, who don't watch the same television stations or the news, news feeds and their social media look completely different. They look around and they see you unified. They see you walking together in unity. They see you laughing and clapping and, and enjoying each other. When we do a meet and greet and it takes us two minutes to get everybody back in their seats for a little bit, listen, that's so pleasing. Can you tell me anywhere else where you get something like that? Nowhere. Behold how good and pleasing it is when brothers dwell in unity. Psalm 68, verse 6 says this God settles the solitary in a home, He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. I said, What are you talking about? God has a plan to put you in a family so that you can belong. But there's a way that you walk this out. Once he has you here, you got to get along with people. You got to walk in humility. You got to be gentle. You got to be patient and long-suffering. And as long as you can be humble, as long as you can be gentle, as long as you can be patient, you will dwell perfectly in that land, that home, that family that God has given you. But if you rebel against walking this way, where does scripture say you're going to dwell? A parched land. Say, Pastor Don, where I'm at right now is dry. It's hard. I don't get it. Seems like I'm walking uphill. I'm swimming upstream. The wind is in my face instead of in my back. Can I tell you, Paul's saying, you've been given everything you need. But you got to walk this way. 
You gotta walk this way. And if you will walk this way, you'll find fruit that you've never known to be possible. And I'm so convinced of this, that God wants you to belong to a spiritual family so that you can believe the salvation he has for you, so you can behave consistent with that salvation, so you've become the person that he's destined you to be. And I'm so convinced of that. I will have this conversation with you every day for the rest of your life until it sticks. That starts with belonging and then believing and then from believing to behaving. Some of you have a hard time in church because you think this place is nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. You're right. We're full of them. It's tough. It's hard. If you set out to try to do the behaving part before you do the belonging part, you're going to struggle. This isn't a country club for perfect people. This is a hospital for those of us that are broken that are on the battlefield, that are wounded. We got scars and wounds and limps from trying to do life with broken and imperfect people. I'm so amazed that God can use imperfect people to do a perfect work. It's amazing. Even this week, I'm sitting here walking in my own life saying, God, how? All right, it's not about what I do, God. It's about who you are in me. Okay, let me reset. Let me reset. And I want this to be the kind of church that opens our doors, not looking for the perfect people, but looking for the people that we can bear up, that we can support, the kind of me too people. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The ones who say, Pastor Don, this is hard. It's hard. Yeah, me too. Me too. But I want you to know you belong here. God has you here. You may have found an ad in a newspaper or driven by this road every day and wondered, I wonder what it would be like to be there. You may have had a friend, a family member, or relationship. Somehow, God used something to get you here. And here's the message he wanted you to hear. Yeah, there's a way you need to walk. But there's a way you should belong before you start worrying about it. And I wonder how easy Christianity would be for us if we spent more time trying to belong and less time trying to behave. Last verse I want to break down for us and then we'll pray and I'll dismiss you. It's Ephesians 4, 6. It says, One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all And the statement Paul makes is absolutely true if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, then what Paul is saying is true for you. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You say, well, Pastor John, Paul Paul just said God's everybody's Father. He's talking to a church in Ephesus. We've already talked about the decision that they made to follow Jesus. And right here, Jesus is telling people, maybe it's you today. And you've been looking for God to be your father, but you've never looked for him through Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. The one true God is not your father unless you come to him 
through his son, Jesus. Practically every week, I tell you the story of Jesus having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And I use words like born again. I want to read that to you this week. It's in John 3, 3 through 5. I'll put it on the screen so you can see it. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Can I invite you to bow your head, close your eyes for just a second? Nobody looking around. Just listen to me. Just listen to me. There's a birth that happens from the womb, a birth that is initiated by the breaking of water. And there's a second birth that happens from the heart, a birth that's initiated by the move of the Spirit of God. You say, Pastor Don, how do I know if the Holy Spirit is making that move in my life? How do I know that God is, is doing something? How do, I, how do I know, Pastor Don, that, that I'm trusting in Jesus and can get to the Father? I would tell you it's as simple as ABC. If God's not moving in your life, if the Holy Spirit is not moving on the inside, then you cannot, A, admit that you're a sinner. You can't do it. It's like trying to convince us that you're humble when you're really not. You're prideful. It's just something that, that happens. You look at your sin and you say, you know what? That's wrong. Where I'm at, the way I've been living, the things I've been saying, the places I've been going, the things I've been watching, it's wrong. And I agree with God that those things or wrong. If the Holy Spirit is in you working towards salvation, you'd be able to look at your sin and say, Pastor Don, you're right. I admit that I'm a sinner. That sin has separated me from a relationship with God. If the Holy Spirit is moving in your life, you would also say, be, believe. I believe that God sent his son Jesus to live a sinless life, a perfect life that I couldn't live to pay a debt that I couldn't pay when he gave his life for me. If God's not working in your heart, you can't believe that Jesus is God's son. Doesn't happen. If the Holy Spirit is working in your life, you'll also be able to see, confess, confess. Confess him not just as Savior, to rescue you from where you're at, but Lord, to lead you to where you need to go. And if you're here, you say, Pastor Don, I want to be born again. And the Holy Spirit is working in my heart. For the first time, I can admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that God sent Jesus, that I might get to God the Father through the sacrifice that Jesus made. And Pastor Don, I'm ready to confess him as Lord and Savior. I want to pray with you. And I want to lead you in a prayer that acknowledges God is doing those things in your life. And that second birth is taking place in you right now. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, will you pray with me? I want to be included with those that you're praying with. I've, I've never raised my hand to be born again, but I want to do it now. I want to invite you from right there where you're sitting, every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody's looking around. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I just want to get this right with you. I want to ask you to raise your hand right now if you want to be born again so I know who I'm praying with. 
right there where you're seated. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. In the back, I see your hand. Keep them up for just a second. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. You can put your hands down one more time before I pray. If you're there, you're sitting, say, Pastor Don, God's doing a work in my heart. And I've sat here week after week after week, and I've just never raised my hand because I'm not sure of what it looks like. Can I tell you, this is the place where you'll figure it out. God doesn't have you here to be perfect. He has you here to belong. And if you say, Pastor Don, I'm ready. God's doing this. I'm ready to belong. I didn't raise my hand earlier, but I don't want to be missed when you pray. Can you raise your hand right where you're at? I want to know who I'm praying with. Thank you. I see your hand. I'm so glad you decided. Church, I'm going to invite all of us to pray together. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Can you say this prayer with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. And I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we celebrate with those who raise their hand to be born again today?